we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we'd ask, Lord, that this evening in our hearing, that your word would become flesh once again and would speak to us. Lord, we thank you for, for speaking to us through your word. And we ask once again you allow that to happen. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The passage that I'd like us to look at this evening is traditionally referred to as the, as the Magnificat. This name is derived from the first word of Mary's song in the Latin translation, Magnificat Anima Mia Dominum. Well, I just knew the Latin they made me learn in Holland would come out to be good usage someday, and it just did right there. In today's fourth Advent service, my text is derived from the beautiful prayer that Mary sings to the Lord in Luke chapter 1. There are a couple of elements of this prayer that are rather fascinating. I was doing some research on the Magnificat on the internet, and I found one website that had this to say about this prayer. It said, it is the Virgin Mary's joyous prayer in response to the angel Gabriel's annunciation to her that she will become the mother of the Son of God. But when we look at this story in Luke's Gospel, this is not true at all. In Luke chapter 1, Luke tells about Gabriel's announcement to Mary of her miraculous pregnancy in verses 26 through 38. Mary's song of praise to God is not found immediately in verses 39 and following. Rather, Mary does not sing her song of praise until verses 46 and following. When we look at Mary's response to Gabriel's announcement, Luke tells us that her only words were these, May it be to me as you said. Now, I'm not sure how you want to interpret these words of Mary, but personally, I do not find any joyous prayer or triumphant, triumphant song in these words, May it be to me as you said. Certainly we can detect a receptive and obedient Mary in these words, but Mary's response to Gabriel and his announcement that she was going to become pregnant with the Son of the Most High, not through the agency of a man, but through the agency of the Holy Spirit, was not a response of joy and singing. Despite the clear indication of Mary's acceptance and obedience to the messenger of God in her words, may it be to me as you said, I think that Mary was troubled and terrified. The fact of the matter is that the young unmarried virgin was pregnant. How do you explain this miracle to the smirking men and the gossiping women of the town square? How do you make your parents believe this explanation of the surprising pregnancy? In her troubled embarrassment, Mary quickly packs her things and hurries, Luke tells us, hurries to the hill country of Judea to visit her relative Elizabeth. The angel had told Mary that Elizabeth was also the recipient of a miraculous pregnancy. But as we compare these two pregnancies, we have to recognize that there is a significant difference between Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy and Mary's miraculous pregnancy. You see, Elizabeth was experiencing a miraculous pregnancy while she was married. How would she react to the unmarried pregnancy of the teenaged Mary? Luke tells us about Elizabeth's reaction to Mary in verses 41 through 45. When Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, her unborn child leapt within her womb, 
And Elizabeth declared to the anxious Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. It is in response to Elizabeth's blessing that Mary sings her prayer. Listen to her words of joy. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul blesses my God and my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. Our theme for this fourth Advent service is magnifying the Lord. As we have just heard sung, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Some translations read here, my soul exalts the Lord, or my soul glorifies the Lord. But when we look at the Greek text of this word, we find that the literal meaning of this word signifies the idea to make large, to make great, to magnify. Well, I've been intrigued by Mary's use of this word magnify in her song of praise to God. Why would Mary say that her heart or her soul magnifies the Lord? I think we can all understand that the gist of Mary's statement here is that she is exalting or glorifying the Lord. That is why the NIV and the NASB translations translate here the Greek word as exalt or glorify. And this is perfectly accurate. The rest of Mary's song demonstrates that she is singing a, a prayer that exalts and glorifies the Lord God. But why does she use the word magnify? I want us to think for a moment about this word magnify. We all know what it means to magnifying something, don't we? I remember the first time my parents bought a magnifying glass for my brothers and me. It was so much fun to blow up the image of things that we were accustomed to look at from actually a further view, right? Um, of course, when you turn four young boys loose with a magnifying glass, then they'll end up magnifying things that were probably never meant to be magnified. It's amazing what an armpit or a nostril will look like through a magnifying glass. And who would have guessed that an ant in the sun really does blow up? Um, but the amazing thing is that when we magnify something, it takes on a shape and a form that's rather surprising. It is incredible to look at things not only from the perspective of a wide angle or a big view, but also from a blown up, magnified view. As I've thought about Mary's prayer and her selection of the word magnify, I can't help but think that Mary had discovered one of the amazing truths about the way God does things. As we've already seen, Mary did not break forth in song when Gabriel revealed to her God's plan that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High. With humble acceptance, she simply proclaims, May it be to me as you have said. But when she ran to Elizabeth and received Elizabeth's blessing, instead of her rejection or her blame, Mary realized the incredible nature of God's plan. God not only had a, a plan on a larger scale for Mary's birth of the Son of God, but God's plan also included the, the confirmation and encouragement of Mary on the smaller scale through her relative Elizabeth. 
I guess this is what I want for us to realize today as we think about Mary's song of praise. God's plan is perfect. God's plan is perfect. Now, I don't think that many of us would want to argue that God's plan's not perfect. But what we sometimes don't realize is that the perfection of God's plan does not only embrace the bigger picture of the grand scheme of things, but God's plan also includes the smaller scheme of things within the lives of his followers. If we were to magnify the details of God's greatest plans, we will discover that his plan is not only perfect in those big details, but his plans are also perfect in the small details as well, if we will be faithful and obedient to him. If we will exercise our eyes of faith, we will be able to see this principle along with Mary. For you see, this seems to be the principle of the way that God does things. When we examine God's plan for our lives, if we will be obedient and faithful, we will ultimately be able to discern God's perfect orchestration of the plan, even when it is not immediately apparent to us. And the incredible thing is that we will discover not only that the bigger plan is perfect, but even the smaller, more intricate details of the plan end up being perfect as well. In other words, we can literally magnify God's plan. And his careful orchestration will become even more visible to us as we do that. Now, I want to show you several examples of how this works. Let's start with Mary. The news of Gabriel must have been incredible news to her. As an unwed virgin girl, Mary was informed that it was God's plan that she would give birth to the Savior of the world in a miraculous virgin birth. All of the world would be blessed through this boy, who would not only be the son of David through his human lineage, but who would also be the son of the Most High through his spiritual lineage. What an incredible plan of God, right? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. For Mary, the good news of God's plan, of course, was the fact that, that, that God had chosen her to bear the Savior of humanity. That's good news. But the bad news was that she was pregnant without a husband. Who in the world would have believed a story like this? In her anguish and confusion, we read that Mary hurriedly flees her hometown and visits her older relative Elizabeth. Can you even begin to imagine the concern and anxiety that Mary must have felt as she contemplated how she would ever be able to convince her relative Elizabeth that she was pregnant without ever having had sexual relationships with a man? But even as Mary, in her anxiety, voices those first words of her greeting to Elizabeth, Elizabeth rises up and proclaims, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. You are blessed because you have believed that the Lord will accomplish what he has said. Mary didn't even have to explain her miracle to Elizabeth at all. Instead of receiving suspicion and perhaps even rejection from Elizabeth, Mary became the recipient of mankind's highest praise. Elizabeth actually blessed her. At the hearing of Elizabeth's blessing, Mary realized that God had not only devised a plan for the big events of her life, but God had planned the small things in her life as well. God had not only planned for a savior of the world to be born to Mary, but he'd also planned for a relative by the name of Elizabeth to bestow understanding and blessings 
upon the obediently anxious and fearful Mary. When the great plan of God in all its small details is magnified into clear focus, we can see that God's plan was not only perfect in its magnitude, but it was also perfect in its smallest details. God not only laid out the plan for the blessing of all humanity through this miraculous pregnancy, but God also laid out the plan for the blessing of Mary herself, one single, solitary, fearful woman. And so Mary burst out in song, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In her own life and situation, Mary discovered and realized that God doesn't only take care of the big details, but he also has a blessed plan for the smaller details of life as well. Praise God for his marvelous plan. My soul glorifies the Lord. Now I suppose the reason why this is so noticeable to us is because we're not always so good at the laying out of our own plans, are we? Sometimes we'll have what seems to be such a great idea, but when we actually put that plan into action, all the details seem to scatter into complete disaster. Right? You've had that happen before, haven't you? Well, it reminds me of a story that I heard a couple years ago, and maybe you've heard that story as well, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. There's a fellow from Michigan who bought a brand new $30,000 Jeep Grand Cherokee for Christmas. And of course, he went to show it to his buddies, and one of those male bonding rituals, five of them decided to take his new vehicle for a test drive on a duck hunting expedition. And so they loaded up the Jeep with the dog, the guns, the decoys, and they headed out to a nearby lake. Now, it was the dead of winter, and of course the lake was frozen. And so they needed to make a hole in the ice to create a natural landing area for the ducks and the decoys. Now, I understand it's fairly common practice in Michigan to drive your vehicle out onto a frozen lake, and it's also common, if slightly illegal, to make a hole in the ice using dynamite. Well, our five buddies didn't have anything to worry about on this count because one member of the party worked for a construction team and he happened to have brought some dynamite along. You just never know when you can use a good stick of dynamite, right? <laughs> well, the stick had a short 20-second fuse, and so the group was all set up. Their shotguns were loaded with duck pellets, and they had their decoys, their warm clothes, their hunting dog. And, of course, the first thing the group did was to consider how to safely dynamite a hole through the ice. Well, one of these rocket scientists pointed out that the dynamite should probably explode at a location far from where they are standing. And another one of these intellectual giants noted that the risk of slipping on the ice while running away from a burning fuse was probably something pretty dangerous. And so they eventually settled on what, on what would seem to be a, a safe plan to light the fuse and throw the dynamite out onto the ice. Well, after a bit of contention over who had the best throwing arm, then the owner of this brand new Jeep eventually won the honor. And so once this was settled, he walked about 20 feet further out onto the ice, and he held the stick of dynamite at the ready while one of his companions lit the fuse. Well, as soon as the guy heard the fuse fizzle, or the fuse sizzle, then he throws this thing as far as he can out onto the ice, and he ran the other direction. Well, this is where the great plan of these five geniuses began to run amok. Remember a minute ago when I mentioned the, the vehicle, the decoys, the guns, and the dog? Ah, yes, the dog. A trained black Labrador. Born and bred for retrieving. 
especially retrieving things that were thrown from by its owner. Well, as soon as the stick left the man's hand, the dog sprinted across the ice, obsessively intent on wrapping his jaws around this enticing stick-shaped object. Well, you can imagine how frantic these five guys became as they immediately began yelling and hollering at the dog, trying to get him to stop chasing the dynamite. But, of course, their cries fell on deaf ears. And before you know it, the retriever is heading back to his owner, proudly carrying the stick of dynamite with the burning 20-second fuse. Well, the group continued to yell and to holler and wave their arms while the happy dog just trotted towards them. Well, what do you do? Well, in a moment, what would seem to be great inspiration, which of course was born out of sheer panic, um, the master of the dog grabbed his shotgun and he fired at his own dog. But the gun, as I already mentioned, is filled up with duck shot, right? And so the shot didn't really hurt the dog, it just confused him. And so the dog was bewildered, but just continued to trot towards the master, who, of course, shot at man's best friend once again. Well, finally comprehending that his owner had gone stark raving mad, then the dog ran for cover with his tail between his legs. And, of course, looking around for cover, the dog ran for the nearest cover he could find, right underneath his owner's brand-new $30,000 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Kaboom! Well, the dog and the Jeep were blown to bits, and they sunk to the bottom of the lake, leaving this huge ice hole in their wake. And the stranded men stood staring at the waters with stupid looks on their faces. And the owner of the Jeep was left to explain the misadventure to his insurance company. Well, needless to say, the insurance company did determined that sinking a vehicle in a, lake by, in a lake by the illegal use of explosives was not covered underneath their policy. And the owner is still making $400 monthly payments on his brand new Jeep Cherokee that's at the bottom of that lake. Well, this is exactly what happens so many times with our own great plans, isn't it? And we certainly don't always make all the foolish mistakes that this man with the new Jeep made, but how many times do our best laid plans collapse into catastrophe? Or how many times do we have a general plan whose purpose and goals seem so beneficiary and yet the details of that plan, or the way we try to accomplish that plan, leaves a painful trail of hurt and pain in its wake. Not so with God. God's plans are perfect in the greater scope of things, and his plans are even perfect in the smaller scope of things. You see, God's plan with Mary's miraculous pregnancy didn't only take all the people of the world into account so that all the nations could be blessed, but God's plan even took into account the obedient but frightened girl, Mary. And Mary was blessed as well. Perhaps Mary realized this truth about God's plan. And this is the reason why she sang, My soul magnifies the Lord. Even when God's plans are magnified down to their tiniest elements, His plans are proven to be beautiful and perfect. But you know what's really exciting about this characteristic of God's plan? The exciting thing is that with eyes of faith, we can see this same truth all throughout the story of Jesus. When we magnify the plan of God so that the smallest details become visible, we can still see the intricate planning of God at work. Let me give you some examples. At the birth of His only begotten Son, God proclaimed the good news of the Savior's birth through the singing of an angel choir. These angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, 
and peace on earth to the people on whom God's favor rests. The angels proclaimed in song the great plan of God to bring salvation and a savior to the entire world. But this plan also encompassed and included the great joy and salvation of a handful of shepherds who had been living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. God's big plan was to bring the news of a Savior, which was good news of great joy for all the people. But the same plan encompassed even a handful of lowly shepherds to whom the angel declared, for today in the city of, of David, a Savior has been born to you. To you a Savior has been born. God's plan is not only perfect within the bigger picture of things, but it's also perfect in the smallest details. My soul magnifies the Lord. We find the same principle at work in Jesus' life. Think of the story of the healing of Jairus' daughter that we read about in Luke chapter 8. You remember, Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. He must have been well-known, a very recognizable man within his community. And Jesus comes to his house, and Jesus finds Jairus' daughter already dead. She had died already from her sickness. But he speaks those divine words, My child, get up. And she's raised from the dead. I mean, this story reveals this incredibly wonderful story and, and plan of God's power and victory over death. But even in the journey to Jairus' house, we see that God's plan doesn't only account for the great event of the resurrection of this young girl from the dead, but God's plan also accounts for the healing of the poor, hopeless woman along the way. So that she also gains a new life that is free from a bleeding that had plagued her for 12 long years. My soul magnifies the Lord. We find this characteristic of God's perfect planning, even the smallest details, not only in the life of Jesus, but even in the death of Jesus. Even as Jesus is suffering on the cross, dying for the sins of all mankind. There's the great plan of God, right? The salvation of all humanity. Even then, Luke tells us that Jesus looks the repentant criminal at his side and says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. God's plan didn't only take into account the salvation of all repentant and believing men and women of the world, but his plan also took into account the salvation of one murderous, undeserving, yet repentant criminal on a cross next to Jesus. My soul magnifies the Lord. The pages of the Bible are filled with stories that demonstrate the perfection of God's plan, both in the large scope of things and also in the smallest scope of things. But this isn't only true of stories of the Bible. This is true of God's plan for our lives, too. When I was finishing up my doctoral dissertation at the University of Leiden in Holland, then I was invited to teach for a year at the European Nazarene Bible College, which is located literally right on the border between Germany and Switzerland. Now, for me personally, this was a wonderful opportunity. Not only would this opportunity provide me with much-needed teaching experience, but it would also provide me with an inroad into Nazarene higher education. And so as my wife, Meek, and I prayed about this, the Lord seemed to confirm to us that this is what he wanted us to do. This plan of God seemed to fit so perfectly for me and for my desire to teach one of our Nazarene colleges. But there was a problem. My wife and I have four children, and they were rather young children at this time. 
We had lived in Holland with our children for nine years at this time. And although we were planning to return to the United States after I finished the year at the, at the Nazarene um, Bible College there, our children couldn't read, write, or even hardly speak English at all. How could we take them to a small village in Switzerland and have them be enrolled in Swiss-German schools? You see, I speak German, but I don't speak Swiss-German. It's completely different. And so while the move to Switzerland to teach at the Nazarene College seemed to be the best possible situation for me personally from an academic standpoint, it seemed to be the worst possible situation for our four children. And yet God made it clear to us that this is what he wanted us to do. This was his plan. And so with anxious and fearful hearts, we decided to move to Switzerland in obedience to what God had called us to do. Well, at the Bible College in Switzerland, there was a man and woman by the name of Phil and June Petrie who had come to Switzerland from America to help at the Bible College. Phil had worked for years at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, and so he quickly took over the task of registrar at the college. But June didn't really seem to be able to find a special task for her at all there for her to perform. It just seemed like she was kind of like a fish out of water, just didn't really know what to do there. All she had done for the past 25 years was to teach elementary school in America. While my wife and I had no idea how we were going to take care of our children in a small village in Switzerland, God's plan had already arranged for our children to have their own private English school teacher with more than 25 years of experience. God doesn't only take care of the big details within his plan. He also takes care of the smallest details. My soul magnifies the Lord. During this special time of Advent, I want to remind you of God's plan for your life. You know, the interesting thing we have here at Colorado Springs, the Bible College, is that so many of you have left everything behind to come here to Colorado Springs. And you came here in order to obey God's call and plan for your life in ministry. And for most of you, God's plan seemed so clear to you as you came. And so you stepped out on faith to obey this great plan of preparing yourself for ministry. But now the struggles have come. Classes are difficult. The adjustments for you or for your spouse or for your children have been very trying. Your salary doesn't seem to cover all of your bills. The church you are attending here seems to be nothing like the church you came from back home. And so the plan of God seems to be hanging from the thinnest of threads. As you made the preparations to come here, the big picture of God's plan looks so great. But now as you are working out the details of the smallest parts of that plan, the doubt has crept into your mind that perhaps God has overlooked the small but important details of your life. Well, today, the young, virgin, yet pregnant Mary has a song for us. And it is a song that was composed under the most difficult of circumstances. And yet is it a song, it is a song that speaks of a God whose plan is perfect even when we don't realize it. In faithful obedience to God's plan, Mary said to God's messenger, May it be to me as you have said. And as a result of that obedience and faithfulness, a Savior, Christ the Lord, was born. 
And the perfect plan of God was revealed not only to all mankind, but also to Mary in an unexpected blessing. In the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your anxieties, in the midst of your difficulty to understand the intricate details of God's plan for your life, the song of Mary calls us to a life of obedience and faithfulness. God's plan is perfect. My soul magnifies the Lord.